You can have a seat. Well, good morning. Really good to see you. Really, really good to see you. Uh, my name is Jake, and uh, if I'm honest with you, I'm definitely up here with a lot of mixed emotions right now, especially singing that song. This is a bittersweet moment for me. Uh, not, not simply because the hawks are about to kick off and, <laughs> and I'll still be here speaking. Um, but, uh, uh, but actually, out of all Sundays, this just happens to be uh, my last Sunday on staff. And so after uh, 17 years of serving at this amazing church, my wife and I, we are feeling called to step out and to plant a new church and so there's a lot been going on in our world in the last year. In fact, that's kind of while I'm, why I'm here today. I'm hoping to uh, share our testimony, tell you our story, what we walked through, what happened, and then maybe a little bit about uh, how that's changed us and what's different. Uh, but before I do that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to introduce you to my daughter, um, our little Magnolia, um, going to be talking about her a whole lot, so I want you to kind of know a little bit about who she is. Uh, she is our three-year-old who we happened to lose. Uh, she went to heaven six months ago, and so watch this little video to get to know her. If you could tell the world anything, what would you tell them? I love you. Uh, if there was a phrase that could best describe uh, how Maggie lived, 
I think it would be the phrase that she loved all the way. Um, I say loved on purpose because that's what Maggie would say. Uh, she could not actually pronounce the word love, so she'd say, I love you. And uh, when I would ask her how much she loves me, she would reach her hands out as far as her little arms could go, and she would say, I love you all the way. And so that's what we say around the house now, that I love you all the way. And Maggie, she did. She loved her family. Uh, she loved her friends. Uh, and she definitely loved Jesus. Uh, she would talk a lot um, near the end days about how she couldn't wait to go cuddle Jesus in heaven. Uh, and that's exactly what she's doing uh, right now. And so I want to talk kind of about what this year looked like for us. I want to share with you a little bit about what happened and for us, my wife and I, it started on uh, Diagnosis Day. That's what we call it, September 10th, 2014. We were going into the hospital to get a, what was called a cautionary MRI. Uh, two weeks prior, uh, Maggie's eyes weren't seeing exactly straight. We weren't sure what was going on, so we went, thought it was an eye problem, went to the eye doctor, uh, talked to them, and he, you know, he said, well, let's run some tests, couldn't figure it out, but let's go and just get a cautionary MRI uh, just to make sure it's nothing crazy, make sure it's nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, he, he just said over and over again, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, don't worry, it's going to be fine. And so there we are, my wife, we're sitting in the MRI room, we're waiting, it's actually our anniversary, and since everything's going to be fine, we're actually enjoying ourselves. I remember laughing uh, and having a good time talking about the steak and crab dinner that we were going to have that night, and then the technician comes back in. And uh, he used the word abnormal. He said, we found something abnormal, uh, and we think that you should probably head to Children's Hospital. In fact, we called ahead and said that you would be there in the next half hour. And so we got in the car thinking, you know what, everything is going to be fine. We don't know what this means, but, you know, it's going to be fine. So we went to uh, Children's, and when we got there, there was people actually waiting for us to take us in. And when we got in, there were doctors just all over, and just specialists like I've never seen before, uh, brain um, specialists, um, brain surgeons, uh, cancer specialists, children's doctors, and finally one of them sat us down and said, let you know what, what your daughter has is what's called DIPG. And it's a very, very rare form of brain cancer, uh, and, and it's so rare. Um, and here's the thing, it only happens in children doesn't happen in adults, but it happens in children, but it's so rare. It's one in every 2.5 million. To give you a perspective, there's only one to two cases a year in the state of Washington. And the doctor's telling us that our daughter has this. And then he says, or she says that it's untreatable. There's no medication, no pills, no chemo that can take care of it. And not only that, it's inoperable. So because of what type of tumor it is, uh, and where, it's, where it was, it was, you couldn't cut it out. For example, the type, it's called intrinsic. So there's a healthy cell next to a cancer cell next to a healthy cell next to a cancer cell. So if you would try to touch it, you couldn't cut it out. Not only that, you wouldn't want to try to touch it because it's located on the brainstem that has to deal with things like uh, um, eating or swallowing, balance, breathing, your heart rate. And so it's inoperable. Couldn't touch it. She goes and tells us that we have a 0% survival rate on this thing. Not one, not two, not four, zero. And that she has about three to, three to nine months to live. 
And in that moment, everything went from, it's going to be fine, to a parent's worst nightmare. Our world basically stopped. We didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say, didn't know what to think. I don't even know if I knew how to breathe. Because we were just being told that our daughter has terminal brain cancer. And outside of a miracle of Jesus, there's, there's nothing we can do. It was pretty much the worst day of our lives. And so driving home was tough. Everything was tough. The world looked different after that as we were driving home. And we had a choice. My wife and I were talking in the car. We had a choice. We could either run to God in this moment, cling to him, or we could run away from God. We could choose to blame him for this situation, or we could choose to trust him. David once wrote the psalmist. He said, when I'm afraid, which we were completely afraid, I will trust in you. He also wrote, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. And so friends, in that moment driving home, my wife and I, we chose to trust. And I say chose because it was an intentional decision. We had, it wasn't easy. It wasn't something like, oh, he's a pastor, so of course he's going to trust God. No, we had to choose to trust. And the reason why we chose to trust God was simply because we knew him to be trustworthy. We have history with him. He has proven himself in the past. He has shown his love to us and others around us. So we figured, you know what? He's not going to drop us. He's not going to leave us in this moment. He won't abandon us in our greatest moment of need. And so we chose to trust. And I kept thinking that day about Job, a man in the Bible who kind of lost everything. He lost his land. He lost his cattle. He lost his wealth. Eventually, he lost his family, and through the midst of all, he said this. He said, though he slay me, speaking of God, yet I will trust in him. That's crazy. And so we chose to trust. There are three stages to DIPG. The first one is uh, the radiation stage. You go, we went for six weeks. Every day after that, six weeks to the hospital, Maggie would go under, she'd get radiation uh, in hopes to shrink the tumor. There was no stopping it, no getting rid of it, but if we could shrink it, we could maybe buy time, a little bit more time. And then after the radiation stage comes the honeymoon stage, and that's definitely the best stage that's out there. This is where you simply just try to savor and enjoy your time with your kid, and thankful for Maggie, that time was symptom-free. And then what you have after that is called the cliff. And when the tumor eventually wakes up, it comes back fast and it is extremely aggressive. And so you prepare yourself for that. And so we were trying to prepare ourselves for that. We tried to, uh, I will say, tried to live intentionally. We tried to live intentionally during this time. Uh, and I say tried because sometimes we truly failed at this. Like we really did. We tried to savor every second, make the most of the moment. We wanted to practice being present with our kids. But it was really hard, like genuinely hard. Think about this with me. On one side of the equation, it's the extremes of both, both things. On one side, I am so beyond grateful that my daughter is here, that I could go into her room and I could touch her little curly head. 
I could talk to her. I could watch her. She was right there. I could touch her. So grateful to God. Never been more grateful in my life. But on the other side, because there's so much love here, but on the other side, there's a clock. And there's loss. And what I mean by that is we were experiencing anticipatory grief, which means we were grieving our daughter prior to her even passing. And so we have the crazy extremes of huge love and huge loss, and we're living them all at the exact same moment. It felt to me like if you were um, to play that game or play with that toy, the jack-in-the-box, not the restaurant, but the jack-in-the-box toy. It's supposed to be a fun game, you know? It's supposed to be enjoyable. Even the music's like... There's something, it's like supposed to be fun, but yet that music, there's something eerie about it, isn't there? Because at any moment, this jack, this stupid clown is going to pop up. And then, boom, the game is over. It's done. And friends, that's how we lived our life. I mean, we were trying to enjoy every moment, but yet the music is da 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 It's so, it was hard. And so we were living in this tension between great love and great loss. And one thing it did do, though, was it sure helped to clarify what was important. Priorities were easy. We knew what was important and what wasn't important. And then that helped redefine and redo or reshape our calendar and what we did with our days. And so we decided, living intentionally, that we wanted to make memories. That's what we wanted to do. We got a camera, a really nice camera, and we just took a lot of pictures and we made memories. As a family, we played outside a whole lot more. We went to Northwest Trek. We attended a princess ball right here in this church in Maggie's honor. We swam in Grandpa, Grandma Tutu's pool. We finally flew to the happiest place on earth. Dad was thrilled, I swear. It was my favorite time. We played in the snow in the mountains. We opened up stockings and presents on Christmas morning. We took neighborhood walks together. We went to the Seattle Aquarium. We took naps together, one of dad's favorite times. We went to the movies. We went bowling. We finally got to meet baby brother Percy. And then we tried to take family pictures. (laughs) We went hiking in the woods. We went fishing in Montana. We flew to the shores of Hawaii and played in the sand while we were there. We made custom cakes at Pinkabella's. We floated in a hot air balloon. We held baby bunnies at Peyton's Ranch. We stayed at the family cabin in Hood Canal one last time. We did dinners together, and we said, I love you a lot. A lot. Friends, thank you for those memories. And I I actually want to say that. Thank you. So many of you prayed for us during that time. You helped donate so that we could do things like that. I can't tell you how precious those memories are to us as a family. So thank you from the bottom of my heart as a dad, thanking you. I also want to tell you about Overlake. I I don't know if they're okay with this, but what are they going to do, fire me? (laughs) 
So, the generosity that this church showed is ridiculous. Seriously, I left work, but they didn't stop paying me. They helped cover medical, and they not only kept my salary going, but they actually increased it. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, buddy. They actually increased our salary so my wife could stop working. And not only that, Howerton himself would come over and play with my girls and do blocks in my house. In my house. Friends, I tell you that just so that you know that the pastor at this church says a lot about loving outlandishly, but I want you to know firsthand he practices what he preaches. Okay? This is a phenomenal church. It's a phenomenal church. I have no idea why I'm leaving. A lot of people ask us the question, or at least they assume we're asking the question, the big question of why. Why would God allow something like this to happen to an innocent little girl? And the answer is we don't know. I can guess. I do guess sometimes. Maybe Maggie would have grown up and she would have suffered worse than she did when she had cancer. Maybe she would have grown up and chew, uh, uh, elected not to follow Christ later in life. So maybe... Jesus took her and knew that before she had a chance to reject him. Honest chance, the truth is, I don't know, and maybe this great tragedy in some way is a great mercy. But we didn't ask that question a whole lot because I think when people ask the question, why God, that there's a question behind that question that they really want to know. And the question isn't why God, they want to know, is God good? That's what people want to know when they ask that question. Is God good? And I will tell you this. If my wife could stand up here with me and we could tell you that we walk to hell and back, we say, yes, God is still good. God is still good. It says in Psalms 107, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Friends, I'm standing up here right now telling you our story that God is still good. And the reason I know that is because we receive so many mercies, little mini mercies along the way. From, and, and the first form that that happened in was with people. Some of you, we received 167 meals in the year while we were there cooked for us. We had hundreds of handwritten letters, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of encouraging emails and messages our garage was filled with tables that had gifts on them for our girls to play with. People came and did our yard work without us asking. We got house cleaning for a year so that we could spend time spending with our family. People did that. God did that through people. But God didn't only show his mercy in that way. He showed it through what I would consider to be divine circumstances. For one, Maggie was symptom-free through her honeymoon. Now, that might not mean a lot to you, but I've looked at a lot of cases and kids who have DIPG since, and for the most part, most of them, almost all of them, do not have symptom-free honeymoons. The parents catch it, but the cancer continues. They stop it where it's at. Maggie's actually went backwards a little. Her eyes got straight, and so you couldn't look at her without, you would, you would look at her and you wouldn't know that she had cancer. 
But most kids, they either can't see straight, they can't swallow, they, or they can't even walk, a lot of them. And Maggie, Maggie was symptom-free. That was a mercy God showed us along the way. Another one was a situation with trial meds. We had at one point elected to maybe try some trial meds, some medicine that they thought might potentially work. It has a shot. And it came in the form of three pills. And we had to go to the hospital to get these and because we had to wear rubber gloves and we, had to, we couldn't take them home. We had to take them at the hospital. And yet I was going to ask my daughter to swallow these. And so we tried. And that was the thing we tried and we failed. Maggie has an iron will. She was as stubborn as her dad could be. She would not swallow those pills. Eventually, when we're in the hospital, my wife had to leave the room because she was so frustrated. And I sat there for three hours. Three hours, think about this. I'm holding the last chance of her survival in my hand. And all I have to do is get her to swallow it. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I remember turning around and punching that table in that room so hard when I figured out it's over. I can't do it. But then you know what? Afterwards, later, we come to find out that, that those drugs, they didn't work. And not only did they not work, they came with side effects. And if she would have swallowed those pills, we would have had our honeymoon stage with side effects the whole entire time. God showed us mercy by giving my little daughter the will, the iron will to say, no, I'm not going to swallow that pill. I don't know what you believe or, or how crazy this goes. You may not believe me on this one, and I get that's okay. But we had confirmation that Jesus himself was meeting Maggie in her dreams prior to her passing. That is a bold statement. I understand that, and I understand how crazy it sounds. But Maggie would tell us about it, and we wrote those things down. We even have it on video where she comes in in the middle of the night and she says, I, she's upset. And all she's saying is, I want to go to heaven. I want to go now. I want to go to heaven. We didn't tell her she was sick at this time. We didn't, or didn't tell her she was dying. We told her she was sick. She says, I want to go to heaven. I want to go now. And she talked about Jesus. We asked her, did you have a dream about heaven? She said, yes. Jesus was meeting my daughter prior to her passing, preparing her for where she's going to go. That's ridiculously great mercy. Even her death, there was mercy there. It was in our home. It was in her bed. Our family was there. My wife and I were holding her. And the nurse said that's about as peaceful as they've ever seen anyone pass. God is still good. God is still good. And so, friends, that's our story. And I don't think it's possible, especially for a parent, to walk through something like that and not be changed. And so let me share with you just a little bit about how we're different. The first part is this. Our perspective on pain is way different. We look at pain through a whole different lens. Here's what we know. We know now, I did not know this before, some pain is permanent. Some pain is permanent. Whoever said time heals all wounds obviously never experienced anything worse than a paper cut. Because it's 
ridiculous. Grief is an amputation. If you lose a child, it's like losing a leg. If you lose someone you love, it's like losing a limb. You don't say to someone who lost a leg, you know what? Don't worry. It'll heal in time. Or it'll grow back. It'll be fine. You don't say that. Why? Because it's not going to be fine. It's permanent. And it's the same if you lose a kid or you lose someone that you love. You may not be able to see it, but it's not going away. A piece of your heart is gone. It's gone for the rest of this life. And so that person who loses a leg, what they have to do is they, they don't heal from it. They adjust. They adjust to life in a wheelchair. They adjust to that. If you lost a kid, you adjust. I will, we will be in pain for the rest of our life. That's just the burden we've been asked to carry. Because a piece of our heart is no longer there. You don't heal from some pain. Sometime you just adjust. A famous novelist named Anne Lamont once wrote, she said, You will lose someone you can't live without, and your heart will be badly broken. The bad news is you will never completely get over the loss of your beloved. But this is also the good news. They live forever in your broken heart that does not seal back up, and you come through. It's like having a broken leg that never perfectly or never heals perfectly. It still hurts when the weather gets cold, but you learn to dance with a limp. Friends, some pain is permanent, but no pain is pointless. No pain is pointless. The Bible says, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. All comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles, all of it, so that, here's the point, we can comfort others. God allows us to be hurt so that we can help others who hurt. God allows us to be in pain so that we can help others who are in pain. I had friends, even pastors, tell me during this process that God never wastes a hurt. I'll tell you what, all I wanted to do was punch them in the teeth. And I wanted to ask them, what's God going to do with that? <sighs> because here's the deal. We hurt so badly. I hurt so badly. It was so painful. I couldn't imagine what the heck God is going to do with this. What is he going to do with this? How can he help in this situation? How can this be okay? Well, it's never going to be okay, but you know what? Something crazy happened when I went back to work. I started doing ministry again, and I got the opportunity to go to the hospital to visit a woman with stage 4 cancer who's now a dear friend and to visit a couple parents who are on the edge of losing their child. And when I walked into that room, it was like I had never walked, I mean, all my years past of visiting didn't, didn't work like this. I walked in and I knew. And they knew that I knew. There was a connection that I have never experienced in the hospital before because I had walked through so much pain and I could see and feel the pain that they were walking in in that moment. I knew what to say and I knew what to not say. And I knew that there was also nothing you could say. 
And then something crazy happened in that process is that I realized that helping them actually helped me. It didn't heal me, but it helped me. There's a purpose in our pain. Friends, now when I walk through this life, I find myself running to people in pain, running to people's mess. I didn't do that before, I promise you. I would have prayed for you from a distance. I didn't want to get messy. But now, it's different. I run to people in their pain because the truth is everybody hurts. We all hurt. Hurt happens. The Bible says, Jesus said, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. In other words, pain is a promise. Peter said, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Because it's normal. I don't know, friends. Maybe you're here and you're in pain. Maybe you're in physical pain. Or maybe you're just in over your head. I want you to know this. It's okay to not feel okay. Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe somebody left you. Maybe somebody took something from you that you cannot get back. It is okay to not feel okay. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it is your family. It's okay to not feel okay. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you lost control. Maybe like us, you lost somebody that you love. Or maybe you just feel lost. It's okay. It's okay. As a past, as a pastor, I would stand up here and I would try to give you the three happy hops to healing. I wanted to put a pretty bow on it. And then I did my job. I'm not going to do that today. Because life is not like that. Life is messy. And it's not always okay. But it's okay to not feel okay. God didn't promise us a happily ever after on this planet, on this earth, and in this lifetime, which is exactly what I've been waiting for this moment. The whole reason I want to talk is for this. So if you were sleeping, now's the time to wake up because I want to tell you right now, the one other thing that has changed in my wife and I's life is this, is that our hope in heaven is ridiculous. We have such hope in heaven. Friends, I had a personal revelation while I was spending time with Jesus. A personal revelation. I am praying, God, please heal my daughter. Lord, please heal my daughter. Jesus, I serve you. I'm faithful. Would you just please heal my daughter? I asked and I asked and I asked and I asked until I realized that God had already answered that question. He had already done, but he'd not given me what I asked for. He gave me what I was dreaming and hoping and longing for. Through the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, I, you know, all I wanted was 40, 50 more years with my daughter that I could spend with her. That's what I wanted. What Jesus was saying was, why not that? Why don't I just give you forever? How does that sound? Okay? Jesus says he will, do, the Bible says God will do more than we can ask or imagine. I was asking for this, but what I didn't realize is what I wanted was that. And God already took care of it. Friends, heaven, heaven heals everything. Heaven 
heals everything. Absolutely everything. The Bible says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer. That could be emotional pain. And God's going to take care of that. When we enter into heaven, we won't remember it. Maybe we'll remember it, but we won't care. It'll be like a Band-Aid. Done. Oh, what was that? Didn't hurt at all. Okay. Could have been the worst life possible. But when Maggie walked into heaven, she walked in healed. Because it heals everything, including physical pain. And one day, I'll get to heaven. And I'll see Jesus. And hopefully this little curly-haired girl, I don't know if she's going to be big or short, I don't, because don't, I know we get new bodies, but I hope she's small. Because <laughs> I want to go, and I want to grab her, and I want to hug her. And you know what? At that point, it'll all be okay. And it'll be okay forever. Forever. There was an uh, Irish songwriter by the name of Thomas Moore he wrote these lyrics. He said, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Friends, you hear me on that? Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Those are powerful words, but even more powerful when you find out that Thomas More didn't just lose one or two, but he lost all five of his kids while he was alive. There is no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Heaven heals everything. I heard a story years ago about a missionary couple. They'd been on the mission field for like 50 years. They were coming home, finally done. Coming this area, they were old. They had spent a lot of time out there. And they were on this plane with a band, a famous band. I don't know who the band was, but they were coming home. And when they landed, they realized that there were crowds all over the place. Just out there waiting to greet them. They had banners and bands saying, welcome home, welcome home. And so they're getting off and there's cheering and they're screaming. And as they do, this husband is sad. He's bummed because he's getting off and he's going, man, I spent 50 years of my life serving Jesus. I spent 50 years doing his work and being faithful and we don't even have anyone to greet us at the airport when we come home. And the wife looked at him and very wisely said, Honey, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. Because, friends, heaven is our home. Scripture is answered with heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. That always frustrated me until you realize that you're not going to mourn in heaven, so you are blessed. Friends, heaven is our home, and my wife and I, we now long for our home. We think about it a lot, a whole lot. I want to know what my girl's doing. I want to know how she is. All I do know is that she's taken care of. A lot of people, we, uh, we spend time saying we should begin with the end in mind. But I don't know why when we use that phrase, we only think about the end of our life. If we were to have heaven in a perspective and you begin with that end in mind, how would it change the way that you live here today? The Bible says we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Heaven is our home. And friends, Jesus is the only way to get home. The Bible also says... 
He's the only way. He says, there's no way to the Father except through me. Jesus is it. I mean, Jesus is the pinnacle. Jesus gives everything. He was the only one that could save Maggie. I mean, think about that. There wasn't a doctor on this planet who could help her. There wasn't a person. If there was, I would have been there. I would have found them. But there wasn't. Jesus is the only one, again, through what he did on a cross, because Jesus is the only one who can take our place. The only one. Because of our choices, because of what we've done, because of how we've chosen to reject God, he's given us what we've asked for, which is separation from him, unless we learn to love his son. The only one who could take our place. Jesus put his arms out on a cross. He spread them wide, and he said, I love you all the way. I love you all the way. And friends, he does love you all the way. All the way. And he's standing there with an invitation. And so, just straight up, if you don't know Jesus, what? Why? (laughs) Seriously? Friends, you never know when diagnosis day is going to hit your world. We don't know that. If you're far away from him, come on. The only thing that carried us through this is his goodness. You've got to get to know him. I beg, I plead on your behalf for you. If you want to go home, you've got to know Jesus. And to know Jesus is the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest thing in the world. And he's given you that invitation. He says, come to me, all of you. That's everyone who are weary and heavy and carry heavy burdens. That's the pain we feel. And I, the only one who can, will give you rest. Friends, a lot has changed in our world. We have a new perspective on pain. Our hope in heaven has changed. That's why we want to go and plant a church. That's why we're doing what we're doing. It seems crazy, especially this soon after Maggie has passed, but why not? Why not? We want to introduce everyone to the heaven that Maggie is playing in right now. I feel like God has wired me to lead, and not only that, as he's calling me to lead. And so that's what I'm going to go do. It's a big step, but here's what I think. Planning a church is like the hardest thing you can do in ministry. But I feel like I've already walked through enough that that's going to be the hardest thing that I'm going to have to do in this lifetime. And if he brought us through that, then I think Jesus can take us through anything. So here's what we're going to do to conclude. There was a song that I sang a lot when I was walking through this situation. It's called, Though You Slay Me. And it's the words of Job, because remember Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him, trust in him. You know, Job's life wasn't fixed. When I read through scripture again, I realized as of late that Job lost everything. He lost his cattle, he lost his land, he lost his wealth, and he stayed faithful. But you know what else he lost? He lost his family. They died. And he didn't get them back. And when I would always read Job's story at the end, I always thought, well, it's the happily ever after. 
until I actually realized, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not the happiest ever after. Yes, he had more kids. He, yeah, but, but he still didn't have the ones before. And that hurts. Now I know it hurts. Job now sits fully restored in what he was promised by God. He's not in pain anymore. He may have had pain for the rest of his life, but he's not in pain anymore. Friends, this song talks about his faithfulness and our faithfulness when things are difficult. As it is sung, my prayer is that you would just go ahead and sit and reflect on the truth of who Jesus is and the fact that he is all we need. Let's listen. for me. 
sing a song to the one who's all I need. What I think we should do right now is pray. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Before I pray, I just want to give an opportunity that Jake has done such an incredible job of compelling our hearts to the throne of Jesus Christ today. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, but today you would like to place your trust in him. Today you'd like to receive the gift that he brings, the gift of his grace, the gift of his love, the gift of forgiveness. And the gift of heaven, if you'd like to receive that today, right now, with our eyes closed, our heads bowed, would you just raise your hand, just kind of quietly lift that up? Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Lord Jesus, you see these hands that are raised, and you see our hearts that are humble before you right now. And we come to you. In faith, we come to you in trust. Lord, we just want to say to you right now that, that we do trust you. Jesus, we trust that you have taken our place. We trust that you have taken all of our sin and all of our guilt and all of our shame, and you've taken that to the cross, and it's been nailed there forever. And we trust that in its place, you have given us your forgiveness and your love your grace that washes over us, and you have given us a home in heaven with you forever and ever. And we receive that now, Lord Jesus. We just want to say thank you so much for that. Lord, we love you, and, and we just want our lives to reflect the love that we have for you, the love that you've shown for us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.